What's up, guys? Good to see you here online. I'm glad you were able to find this sermon. Hopefully, you've got what you need to take notes. Um, we want to treat these sermons as much like normal sermons as we can. Imagine you're in 120 East, surrounded by a bunch of people who are not social distancing, um, taking notes with Bibles and pens. So I know that's not where you're at, but I am glad that you're able to find this and we can dig into God's Word together. So I told you guys last week that we were going to continue in the book of Philippians with Philippians chapter 4, and that's exactly what we're going to do. And we're going to talk about a passage today that reminds me of the Avengers. It does. Seriously. It reminds me of the Avengers because have you noticed that in the Avengers movies, half of the time in the whole movie is just getting the team together? Have you noticed that? That they can't do the work they're supposed to do until they get the whole team together, and then this guy's over here, and Spider-Man's late, and Iron Man's got a problem with this person, and all these things like that. That's kind of the, the relationship issue that Paul is going to address in this church. There's people who didn't get along. There's people who were supposed to be friends. They used to be friends, but because they had let, let personal disagreements get in the way, it stopped the church from doing what they should have been doing. So I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, Paul's going to talk about some spiritual superpowers, like we call them. Spiritual superpowers. Things that are hard, that the world cannot really do unless God helps them. So God wants us in the church to do these things. This whole chapter is full of um, spiritual superpowers. And the first one is found right here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. So hopefully you've turned there and you're ready to go because I'm going to read it. Here's what it says, Philippians 4, 2. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. He says, I want you ladies to be in agreement. We don't know what their problem was. We don't know if it was a doctrinal problem or a relationship problem or what it was between these two ladies. But he says, I need you guys to agree. And don't just agree and agree to disagree. I need you guys to agree in the Lord. Be wholehearted in your agreement because it's in the Lord. He says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul talks to these two ladies. He has a command for lady number one, command for lady number two, and then he has a command for dude number three that we don't even have named here. We're not sure. Maybe it's Epaphroditus or maybe it's Timothy or maybe it's somebody else. He says, I need you to help these ladies because apparently they had not been able to get along on their own. They should have been able to get along, but they weren't getting along. So Paul said, someone needs to help these ladies get along. It's that important. Whatever was going on here, we're not quite sure what was happening, but we do know that there was a relationship problem between these two important women in the church about something that Paul doesn't address, but he also in not addressing it, he shows that everybody knew what was happening and it was a big enough deal for him to include in this portion. I mean, think about it. We're reading about a relationship problem that these two women in the church of Philippi had. We're reading about it 2,000 years later. Think about the millions and billions of people who have studied God's word and have had some exposure to this problem. So it was a big deal, whatever it was, and it seemed like everybody in the church knew about it, so Paul didn't have to explain what it was. But of course, we don't know what it was. But we do know these two ladies were not getting along. And some of the fallout was, it seems like the people in the church were not getting along. People were picking sides. They were saying, I, I'm, I'm with Yodi, I'm with Syntyche. And what Paul doesn't do is pick sides. Notice that. When, when you look at this text, he could have easily said, hey, you know what, Syntyche? 
you need to start listening to me because me and Yodia, we're correct about this doctrinal issue and you're not. And he doesn't provide that correction. He just tells both of them to agree in the Lord. So personally, I don't think this was a doctrinal problem. I don't think this was like, so one of them was a false teacher. The other one was teaching the truth. I think Paul would have said that. Um, probably it was a relationship issue uh, that was going on. So he says, you guys need to agree in the Lord. You need to agree in the Lord, and so do we. And really, that's what this passage is all about when it comes to how we ought to apply it. We need to realize that we need to agree in the Lord with other Christians. We need to be united because that's what God calls us to do. Whether we want to or not, whether we think um, that we're right or not, God calls us to unity with other Christians. The main idea is we need to get along because we have a job to do. If you think about what Paul says in verse 3, he says, they used to labor side by side together with me in the gospel. They used to share the gospel. Um, But now it seems like they're not effective in doing that because they've got these relationship problems. So I want us to look at verse 2 again where he tells these two ladies, I I need you guys to agree in the Lord. I want you to write this down for point number one. It should be at the top of your page. Point number one, resolve your relationship problems. Resolve your relationship problems. He says you got to. It's not an option. This is not something that he says you can do or you cannot do. You can choose to agree. You can choose not to agree. He is a command. This is as straight up as a gift of Paul. He says you have to agree in the Lord. There's another time that he told them to agree in the Lord. It was found earlier in the book, and I want you to turn there because it's in Philippians chapter 2. So just turn one page to the left. After you write down point number one, turn one page to the left. To Philippians chapter 2. The beginning of Philippians 2 says this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Notice it's the same type of thing he's going to say to these ladies at the end of the book. He says to everyone, I want you to be of the same mind. He goes on. Says being of having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. I want you to be thinking in the same way. Okay? How? It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. So we don't know exactly what these ladies' problem was, but I do think that if they were applying verse 3, they wouldn't have this relationship problem anymore. So whatever it was, it was fueled by selfishness. One person thought they were right, and the other person thought they were right, and because of that, they couldn't agree. Keep reading. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, Count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So, not just caring about what we feel or what we think. He says, you need to care about what the, what the other person thinks. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. So it says, keep thinking this way, being of the same mind, because Jesus thought this way too. Now, he explains what he meant. He says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I know we talk about this a lot, But the fact that Jesus was humble and was willing to put others first ought to be one of the motivations for you to resolve your relationship conflicts. He put others first in the biggest way he possibly could, by dying for us. He put our needs first. He put what we needed and what 
what we had to have in order to be right with God, he put that first. And Paul says, basically, the whole church, whether you're in a fight or not, you need to put on that selflessness idea that I'm going to put other people first. It's important because not only did Paul want the church to do that just because that was helpful for them getting along, he also says in Ephesians chapter 2, so this is the same author, different church. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh were called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made by flesh by hands. So he's talking to this group and he says, half of you guys, you were Gentiles. The other half of you, you were Jews. He says, remember that at one time you Gentiles were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, hereby killing the hostility. There's a lot of hostility back then between these two groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles. And what Paul says is, is that in Christ, those two, those two groups don't have to disagree anymore. They don't have to fight. Just because one came from one family and another came from another family doesn't mean they have to fight. In fact, they shouldn't fight. And it seems like half of the New Testament letters are just addressing the fights that are happening in the church. And although that sounds, you know, wow, those Christians must have been bad back then, it's true today too, isn't it? I mean, if you think about the times that I have to jump into your small group or Alexandra has to come into your small group, a lot of the time what it is to address is relationship problems or times that your small group leader has to step in between you and somebody else. A lot of the times it's not to, to just encourage or just to help. Sometimes it's to confront you on relationship problems. It's still an issue today. It wasn't just an issue back in the Bible times. Later in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 1 to 6 Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, I command you again, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That sounds like Philippians 1.27. It says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It says you need to maintain the unity that God creates. So some important things about unity and getting along. In Christ, God creates the unity, right? Christ does it. It says the, the unity of the Spirit, Father, Son, Spirit. They are the ones who make the unity between Christians. What does he tell us to do? He says our job to maintain unity. We don't create unity necessarily. We maintain it in Christ for Christians. It goes on, verse 4. This is Ephesians 4.4. 4. It says there's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I know it's a big statement, but when it comes to you getting along, if you're talking about groups of other Christians, we've got to get along because God's made us that way. And because ultimately God says he's in control of this church and he needs us to get along because we're one body with each other. That might have seemed like a lot of 
big theological statements, but I want you to turn to a passage that's pretty brutal. Pretty brutal because it'll help you during your time of quarantine to get along with other people. It's uh, Romans chapter 12. Please turn to Romans chapter 12 in your Bible. Just thinking about a verse to talk about in your quarantine um, or whatever it's called. I don't even know if it's really called a quarantine now. Um, home lock-in, voluntary staying at home, voluntary homeschooling. For those of you who are not homeschoolers, now you're all homeschooled. So. How does that make you feel? All right, anyway. Um, Romans chapter 12, look at verse uh, Look at verse 16. Romans 12, 16 says, Live in harmony with one another, except when you're in quarantine and you have to share the same table and the same room as your sibling. No, it doesn't say that, right? It says, live in harmony with one another all the time. Do not be haughty, which means I think I'm better than you. That's what haughtiness means. It says, don't think that you're right and the other person's wrong or you're better than someone else. It says, um, don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Okay, this whole section, what it's about, is Christians getting along with other Christians. And right now, you might be stuck in a house with a whole bunch of people that maybe you would rather not be stuck in the house with, but you just need to realize that if we're going to obey God like we should, we need to get along with the people, specifically the people that we're stuck in a house with for the next couple of weeks. Live in harmony with one another. So important. When we're in quarantine, we got um, less space, feels like um, not much to do, um, we're bored sometimes and sometimes it's hard to get along with people in times like this but it's all the more important that we are united specifically for you with your family and also with your small group that you're going to talk to again on Wednesday night so going back to Philippians chapter 4 I want you to see that not only does God call you to get along with other people he's also going to call um, this guy who's unnamed my um, true companion Paul says you need to help these women. So our job as Christians is not only to get along with other Christians, it's also to help other Christians get along with other Christians. I know that might sound confusing, but I want you to write it down for point number two like this. Help other Christians work together. Help other Christians work together. These women were causing disunity, and notice that it wasn't just their fight anymore. Um, these two ladies were fighting about something, but because the fight went so public, it involved so many people that they brought other people in on their, on their relationship problems. People were choosing sides. So what this guy, true companion, what Paul tells him to do is you need to help restore the peace in this situation. Sometimes with disunity, we don't think it's such a big deal. Um, if I don't like someone else, why is it such a big deal? That I, what, do I have to be their best friend? Do I have to be everyone's best friend? Um, well, here's the, here's the problem. Um, in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19, God lists the things that he hates. Um, says six things that the Lord hates and seven things that are an abomination to him. And he lists things like lying, like um, killing innocent people, um, people who plan to do evil things, uh, people who are quick to do evil. He hates all that. And the last thing he says is well, the thing that I hate is the one who sows discord among brothers. 
That's something that God absolutely hates. When we, instead of helping people get along, we are perpetuating their problem. We're getting in there and making the problem even worse by taking sides, by saying, I think this person's right. Oh, wow, they should really apologize to you. Wow, and instead of trying to come in to help and fix it, you're coming in to take a side or to drive a wedge between the situation that's already bad. He says, God hates that. It can't be people who are doing that. And if you're tempted to do that, especially in this quarantine, um, don't do it. God does not want you to do that. Again, Proverbs 16, um, 28. This is Proverbs 16, 28. Um, God's word says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer, a person who gossips, they separate close friends. A whisperer separates close friends. Um, God hates that. God hates our gossip and our slander and when we're not helping other Christians work together, when we choose to take sides instead, God hates that. It's terrible. So, what's a good thing to do? What does God want us to do? Well, Matthew 5, verse 9 tells us something in the Beatitudes, the section where Jesus says, blessed is the person who does this. One of the things he says, um, Beatitude number like 6 or 7, says, blessed are the peacemakers, um, for they shall be called sons of God. So I want you to think through this question. Are you a peacemaker when it comes to relationship problems, or are you an instigator? Are you someone who makes the problem worse, or are you somebody who's helping make peace between other Christians? I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of us are instigators. We like to be in the problem, or cause the problem, or hear about the drama. Instead of trying to resolve it and say, you talk to you, you talk to you, and fix this, be done with this problem right now, because it's hurting the church, right? most of us we enjoy being a part of the issue or we enjoy hearing about the things that that person did wrong. Um, I want you to check your heart about that and I want you to confess and repent of that right now. Um, If that sounds like you and if you're convicted of that, that's something that needs to change. That you're not going to be a person who's causing divisions in the church and you're causing divisions in your house and causing divisions in your small group and your friend group. It's not something that God loves. In fact, it's something that God hates. So, are you known as a peacemaker? God says that um, the peacemakers are going to be known as sons of God. God has a lot of good things to say about the people who are peacemakers. Also, another passage I want you to write down, um, James chapter 3. James three sixteen um, to 18. says, Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice, but the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. God wants his people to make peace. And practically, how can you do that? How can you make peace between Christians who are fighting? Well, um, if there's people who are disagreeing in your small group or your friend group, and there's people who are talking bad about other people, one of the best things you can do is direct two parties that are fighting to go talk to each other. The worst thing you can do if friends are fighting is get in there, listen to both sides, and just be the person who listens and says, okay, instead of getting them face-to-face. Right? That's how relationship problems get solved. Right? Have you ever, um, you ever thought something bad about a person or uh, said bad things about a person behind their back, and then you see them face-to-face, and you're like, huh. I don't, I don't want to say anything bad about you because you're, you're standing right there, right? That's part of the issue. It's easy to talk behind people's back because we think they're not going to hear it and they're not listening. Um, 
but that always will cause disunity and, and cause problems. And just remember Proverbs 6, that's something that God says he hates. Can't do that. We need to get rid of selfish ambition and jealousy. And when we get rid of those heart problems, um, we can start making peace with other people. So the whole purpose of this unity that Paul was talking about with uh, these two ladies in the church was he's basically saying, we used to labor for the gospel. Now you're ineffective. Now you can't even do what we were supposed to do. And all those um, evangelism mission trips that we did and, and being able to welcome people into the church. When we're fighting, we're not able to do that. And I need you to realize that that should be your final motivation to get along with other Christians is because God has called us to do a job together. And that's to advance the gospel. And if we're fighting, we can't do that. So point number three is this. Back in Philippians 4, um, point number three is this. Stay united because we have a job to do. Stay united because we have a job to do. Paul tells this uh, genuine companion, this true companion, he says, I want you to help these women because they labored side by side with me together in the gospel with Clement and with all the rest of the workers whose names are written in the book of life. Talking about real Christians here. He says, this should be a motivation for you. They're real Christians. God's sent his son to die for them. They need to get along. And we need to get along. right? And that's where I want to bring it all the way back down to Compass Bible Church and the Narrow and your small group and your family and whatever circle of, of people you're in in your life. I need you to bring it down to that level and ask yourself this question. Are you united or are you divided? Are you, are you united or are you divided? Because when it comes to groups of Christians, divided groups of Christians don't do a very good job of sharing the gospel, at least not together. Right? And God calls churches and small groups and, and even ministries like ours to work to share the gospel together and bring people to church. I mean, think about it. I know that's a weird thing to say right now because we don't have church, but if you're going to bring someone into your Zoom call, right, and you're fighting with this person and you're disagreeing, right, what is your friend who's never been in that group, what is he thinking about your group? He's thinking, these guys are just like everybody else. They're just fighting with each other and disagreeing. That's not a place I want to be, right? Just know that even in this time of quarantine, right, your unity as a small group can help when you bring new friends into that group, and that's something I'd encourage you to do. Keep pushing, right? Just like Philippians 1.27 says, I'll, I'll read it again. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Right? You can do that even now, even in quarantine. You can do that by inviting your friends to these Zoom calls on Wednesday night that we're going to have for small groups. You could hang out with them. You could have Zoom calls or FaceTime calls or, um, you know, if your parents are bold enough, if people are allowed to go out again or whatever, uh, to hang out at each other's houses for you to get to know um, people who are not from the church, right? Maybe some of your friends that are from sports or whatever, you can start to include those people into your friend circles while they've got nothing to do, just like you've got nothing to do. Um, and you can start those relationships and then they can come to church and they can you know, click on to small groups on Wednesday night. It's something that you're still able to do and we're still called to do, whether um, situations are easy or whether they're hard. I want to leave you with one last thought. Psalm 133.1. Psalm 133.1. The psalmist says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. He says it's good and pleasant. Two ideas. 
two other ways you can think about that, good and pleasant. Good, think of healthy, and pleasant, think of sweet. Right? If something is healthy and sweet, right, that's the best kind of food. Right? Usually when we deal with food, it's either healthy or it's sweet. It's usually not sweet or it's healthy. Um, it's usually one or the other. What this says about unity is it's not only healthy and good for us, it's awesome. When we're united together and not fighting with one another and solving our relationship problems fast, it's just a good thing. It just really stinks to be a part of groups that fight. Maybe you've been on teams that are like that or classes that are like that. When they're constantly fighting, it's not good for anybody. It's really a, a, a bad place to be. And I know that's not the main purpose of getting along. It's advancing the gospel and doing all the things we talked about from Philippians 4. But I want you to know that getting along is good for you. It's good for me. It's good for you. It's good for your small group. And God knows what's best there. So I told you the Avengers assemble, right? The Avengers assemble. If they uh, take half their movie assembling and then take the other half of the movie to do their job, I just hope that we're even better than that, that we'll learn how to assemble fast and we'll not assemble like gather, like touch each other, because I know it's six feet apart, right? I get that. Um, but what I mean by that is uh, figuratively, of course, being united with one another um, because God has a job for us to do, even if we're quarantined. It reminds me of um, the apostles. The apostles are not exactly the Avengers, but when Jesus was calling his apostles, his disciples, it's funny because he goes to different types of people and brings them all together in one room. Um, two of the uh, craziest examples are a guy named Levi, who is also went by Matthew, and he wrote one of the books of the Bible. Um, he was a tax collector. His job basically was to um, collect all the taxes from the Jews, and he would steal money from them. He was stealing money from the Jews to give it to the Romans and keep some for, him, for himself. Um, that was like the worst job ever, um, except it made you really rich. So um, the people didn't like that, though. There was another guy who was a disciple, and his name was Simon. Um, Simon was not a tax collector. Simon was actually called Simon the Zealot. And uh, what zealots were were um, a fringe political party back in the day that were actually known to be terrorists. Basically, they're anarchists, which means they fought against the government. And what these people did is they would assassinate, they would kill tax collectors in the streets at night when nobody was watching. They would murder people who worked for Rome. So now imagine you've got Simon the Zealot, you've got Matthew the tax collector, Jesus calls both of them, and now they're both apostles. How would that go? Right? Uh, well, naturally, I don't think it would go very well. They would kill each other, or they'd be arguing politics, or they'd be doing whatever. But Jesus created a unity with these two types of people, with two different backgrounds, with two different ways of thought. And he didn't say, abandon all of what you, what you knew or, or what you were doing. He actually, um, in, instead of having like a fused version of tax collector and zealot, he gives them a whole new worldview. He says, this is the way we got to look at the world. And he taught them a whole new way of looking at the world. So that's why in the church, um, I can get along with people that have none of the same interests as me and that you can get along with people who are not like you. Maybe you think uh, you're a nerd. Maybe you are a nerd. I don't know. Uh, maybe you think that you're really cool. I doubt it. But OK, maybe, maybe you are really cool. Whatever. You can get nerds can get along with cool people. Right. Popular people can get along with non-popular people in the church. The world doesn't get that. It doesn't work that way in the world, but it works that way in the church because we're united in Christ. So just like Simon the Zealot and 
Matthew, the tax collector, can get along and work together as apostles, you can work together with people that are really different than you because God calls us to be united with one another. Whether um, all the people in your small group are your favorite people or your best friends are in another group, God can call us together to work together for the gospel. So um, that's Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. I'm excited for you guys to do small groups on Wednesday night. You will jump into small groups and um, do probably a Zoom call with your leaders. So that'll be really fun. Um, And you'll be doing that on Wednesday night to talk about the application questions. So if you printed out the worksheet, you can turn it on the back and you can see your application questions. Um, If you didn't print out the worksheet and you're just watching this online, check out the application questions. Make sure you read those before you jump into small groups on Wednesday night. I'll see you guys on Wednesday night. Hopefully I'll jump into some of your Zoom calls. So let's pray. God, thank you for telling us in your word that we can be united. Uh, Thank you for even making a way for us to be united in in Christ. Um, I know that he made a way for um, people who are totally different to be friends and to be brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that we would model that in our small groups. Even though there's some groups with people who are nothing like each other, I pray that um, we would like each other, even if we're nothing like each other. Um, pray that you would help us be unified and instead of causing disunity in this time of quarantine and time of panic, that you would help us be united and you would help us live in harmony with our families and our siblings. Um, and even more than that, as we extend outwards, that we would be in harmony with our small group and our ministry and even our whole church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.